Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, blue, white breakdown. It's Nebraska week for the Penn State football team, the 0-3 Penn State football team. Bob Flounders here with Greg Pickle, as always. Lola's about to get some peanut butter in Middletown, where Greg is uh, recording this little version of his podcast for Blue White Breakdown. Greg, you know, Penn State's pretty desperate right now at 0-3. Nebraska's 0-2. They got to get on the road. Did not look good against Maryland, man. Did not look good. Never really in the game, I thought, no matter what the numbers might say or the it was it was disappointing. They're zero and three. Somehow they're a th- uh, they're a three point favorite against Nebraska. We'll talk about that. But we got to get to a couple really interesting things. I don't know, Greg. We we just heard from James Franklin a little while back. I don't know what was the most interesting thing to you, but. I think we're probably going to agree on the same thing. You know, James was asked a very generic question about uh, how surprising the 0-3 start is, I believe. I think I'm paraphrasing it. And he he volunteered that one of the things that has been an issue for him isn't necessarily football-related, but maybe it is, given his personality. He said, you know, another paraphrase, he has not done a very good job managing kind of his time with relating to his family. His family is down South still, I believe in Florida. He said they were down South. I don't know that he's seen them very much at all since the pandemic started. His one daughter, her immune system is compromised due to a medical condition. I think a lot of the Penn State fan base knows that, Greg. But just just your thoughts on James talking about that and uh, maybe... Is it something that you've noticed maybe uh, with him? Because we've talked, I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast, Greg, but we, you know, it it just looks like James doesn't have the same juice this year. And uh, maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, Bob, he's felt like he's been a little bit off either during games or at news conferences. He just doesn't seem to have that same, I don't know if spark is the right word, but that we know what James Franklin typically looks like on game day and during practice and during news conferences. And he just it doesn't seem to have that spark. And then if you stop and think about it for a second, if you went back and made one of those circle charts of like all the words that have come out of his mouth since 2014, and you made the bigger the word bigger for every time he said it, family would probably be one of the biggest words on that circle. And yet, this is a guy who, because of the coronavirus pandemic and because of some medical issues one of his daughters deals with, has. Um, has been away from them. I believe he saw them once. If I remember correctly, Bob, he told us that after the season was postponed, he got a coronavirus test. As soon as it came back negative, he jumped in the car and drove through the night to Florida to be with them. And then he came back, of course, when the season was put back on again. And so uh, other than that, I believe he was with them for a bit uh, back when the, the shutdowns kind of first started. But They've been apart for the better part of this year. And for a guy who preaches everything about his program, starting with family, I guess it probably should have been evident sooner that being away from them for so long would be a major challenge for him. 
And either way, he came, you know, he came out and said it today during his Tuesday news conference ahead of Nebraska that he doesn't feel like he's done a good job with that, that he's talked to his wife about it now, his team, his staff. And I guess if you're Penn State, you hope that they the players and coaches follow his lead and are honest and open and transparent about all the other things that are apparently going on with this program. You know, Bob, after the Maryland game, we heard Jahan Dotson, Pat Fryermuth, Sean Clifford talk about distractions. And James said today that in 2020, there are a lot of factors that can lead to distractions. They have yet to define uh, what exactly those things are. But either way, um, they have a lot to fix on the field, but I don't think they're going to fix any of it, Bob, at least to any acceptable degree, until they start admitting and figuring out these things that are going on off the field and inside of the Penn State program. So if James Franklin you know, coming out and opening up about this challenge he's dealing with being away from his family is a step in the right direction, then maybe they can take a step forward in Nebraska, but <laughs> it's going to be a challenge, even though the Cornhuskers are about as much of a mess as Penn State is on the field right now. Yeah. Football related now, Greg, a couple of things. I think, and you know, James kind of, he started the press conference kind of, you know, he, it just seemed like he was very wary and very on edge about maybe getting grilled with some tough questions because he kept going back to that and he kept saying, I know you guys got to ask tough questions, but, uh, and I respect that. I get that, but I'm just going to try and be the way that I've always been. Um, But Greg, if there's a question maybe that jumps out the most, I think, to the fan base, and maybe to you and I too, it's it it involves Sean Clifford uh, for me. A couple of things, just, you know, his play through three games, number one, plus just physically, I just don't know how much longer he can go and absorb the physical beating that he's absorbed through three games. And this was a problem, I think, last year, Greg, and I think it caught up to Sean uh, in the Ohio State game. He, he didn't play against Rutgers, and he really wasn't – he didn't look like he was really right to me physically against Memphis. I just ran the ball. He couldn't do much. Greg, I think he's got – he's credited with 52 carries. He's probably been hit 85 times in three games. And so the name Will Levis is going to come up. James was asked about the quarterback room, and he did say, look, we got to get Will Levis more involved in the game plan. A, your thoughts just on what you've seen from Sean. I know we've talked about it uh, after the game, the Maryland game. Um, and James was asked about maybe making a quarterback switch, and he, he said he wasn't really going to do that. Your thoughts on Sean's play, and also, do you believe James, when, when he says he will be a more a bigger uh, factor against Nebraska, or do you think they're just going to kind of play? It, 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 a lot of times they just kind of go into the game and they have a plan, but it doesn't necessarily go according to plan. Yeah, I mean, I guess my thought initially, Bob, is this, is that we've heard this before with Tommy Stevens, yeah. and we've heard it some yes. last year with Will Levis, where yeah. after a game where maybe they could have used one of those two guys more, the next week it comes up on Tuesday, and they say, yeah, you're right, we do need to get him involved more, we're going to get him involved more, and then that never ends up, or rarely ended up being the case, so do I think that they have some ideas of what they can do with Will Levis? Yeah, I mean, we clearly saw that uh, in the Indiana game that they had, uh, and I, you know, I guess Ohio State too. That they had, you know, um, some ideas of how they wanted to use him, but they, I think maybe maybe they're a little gun shy. Maybe they think that putting in Will Levis and if he does well, that hampers Sean Clifford. I don't know. I'm going to have to see it to believe it, though, when it comes to using him and getting him involved more, just because, again, this is not the first time 
We've yeah. heard that regarding a backup quarterback who has a running ability. So we'll see. Uh, I would be willing to bet that if we do see him, it's very limited, barring injury or anything else. But, you know, Pat Fryer moved Bob. I was on his call this morning before James talked on Tuesday. And he was pretty adamant about the idea that it, as it relates to turnovers, but kind of the dysfunction of the offense as a whole, that it's not all on Sean Clifford. And right. there's a lot of other people also not doing their jobs. And that maybe more often than it should, it comes off as Sean Clifford, the one making the huge mistake or the big breakdown, when in reality, he was put in a position by other players that led to those things. So I think there's probably, like anything else, some truth to it, some he got to throw the ball away. And I think we saw him throw the ball away a little bit better after the the fumble six against Maryland. But, you know, I think. There's probably are times when his teammates are putting him in a worse place than than he yeah. should be in. But he also at times doesn't look like he's taken very many steps forward from last year. So that leads to the Will Evis conversation. So obviously a big week for him and also for this ground game that, you know, you can say what you want, Bob, about losing Noah Kane, and losing Journey Brown. And that's all true. And it's all a part of the story of this Penn State offense struggles through three weeks. But you know, time and time again, this is, and yet again for another year, the offensive line was supposed to be this veteran, dominant, maybe one of the better lines in the Big Ten group, and they just haven't been. And they're now shuffling guys in and out, trying to find the right five. It's not the place they expect it to be. It's not the place you can be and win in the Big Ten. And I don't know what this quick fix solution is or if there is a quick fix solution for that group, and that causes as many problems as anything else. So. You know, and then James Franklin, of course, says Saturday night that people don't respect their run game enough and they can't block it so they can't get it going. So then the RPOs don't work. I mean, it's a a big problem, obviously, a lot of areas that are struggling right now. And I don't know if changing to Will Levis is going to change any of those, but I think we can both agree that at some point it might they might have to try and find out. Yeah, uh, I think uh, James kind of was asked about, uh, I think, the running game or he might've just brought it up, but the thing that he said that resonated the most with me is he did say, you know, maybe we, we should be, we should be getting more push from the offensive line, but more striking to me was his comment that, you know, it's also about breaking tackles. I don't think, I don't think the Penn state has a running back who can push the pile. I don't think Penn state has a running back that can see a hole with a guy in the hole and turn a one yard gain into a three or four yard game. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it adds up. I don't know if you, you remember against Ohio state. Yeah. Justin Fields killed them throwing the ball, but that, that master Teague guy was making a lot of, he would, he, you know, he would get three yards without even being touched, but then when they would try and tackle him, he'd run for another three or four yards. And I just think, I think Devin Ford's good at some things, Greg, but I just don't know uh, in this offense, they need they need a physical presence inside in the run game. I don't think they have it. I don't know that uh, Kevon Lee is ready yet to assume that role. He seems to be the guy that might be most physically suited to be that guy. But if they don't have that guy, Greg, I don't see how they're going to run the ball. And I think maybe that's the reason, number one, why they're abandoning the run early in games. Number two, they're leaning way too much on Sean Clifford as a runner. And number three, they've only scored 20 points in the first half of three games total. And it's just, it's just, you know, they're, they're being forced to play from behind and they're not equipped to do it. Their offense is devolving into just, you know, throwing jump balls to Jahan Dotson and, and Pat Fryermuth outside. It's, it's not a recipe to win. And Greg, to your point, 
I don't know that it matters who the quarterback is if they can't get a running back that they like 18 to 20 touches a game and he's going to average four yards a carry. Yeah, that's the biggest problem they have right now is that, again, when you went down, they felt like they had three starters in Journey Brown, Noah Kane, and Devin Ford. Unfortunately, it turns out that that's not so much the case because I think Devin Ford was really going to thrive in that change of pace role. And I don't know if he's built yet through no fault of his own. He's still a young guy growing into some of the things he does best. But I just don't know if he's built to be that every down back. And I don't think Holmes and Lee are quite ready for that yet. I think they're probably closer than you would maybe rightfully think of a, a freshman back outside yeah. of an you know, all-world talent like Saquon Barkley. But even he had some problems at you know when to start of his career. Now, obviously, yeah. he had more highlights than problems. But even he had some you know struggles at times with picking things up and with going straight ahead as opposed to trying to get outside and lose two yards as opposed to getting to. So uh, they have something to work with with those guys, but it's a matter of how quickly it's going to come together. And they need it to happen this week, and it may not be realistic to think that's going to be the case. So, And the other thing, too, is that you look at the problems Nebraska has, Bob, and think that maybe this is a spot for Penn State to clean some things up, to get back to basics, and to put some of the the warts of the last three weeks behind them. Problem is, we thought the same thing with Maryland, and that was anything but the case. Now, Maryland, of course, was riding a little bit of confidence coming out of that Minnesota win and yada, yada, yada. But I, it's just difficult to project how this team can solve all of the problems that ails it in just six days of practice time. Yeah, uh, we're about halfway through these, uh, the blue-white breakdown. Bob Founders and Greg Pickle talking. Tuesday afternoon, it's a lovely day in Harrisburg and in Middletown where we're doing this. We just heard from James Franklin. Um, and I think after the break, Greg, we're going to talk a little bit about the defense. And also, you know, I think the fan base wants to know if maybe some players are starting to think about their futures and opting out. I know you had a chance to get some information from Pat Fryermuth regarding that. We'll talk about those two things when we return after you tell our listeners and our viewers and Lola what they can do to uh, review us and how they can subscribe and why aren't they subscribing or listening more we have we have podcasts every day Greg like it's it's literally every day not 24 7 but every day we got we got the blue white breakdown whether it's you and I whether it's Dave Jones and I or whether it's Dustin Hockensmith I mean you can't afford to miss out so tell them what they can do to rate review subscribe all that good stuff Yep, Dave Jones is back in the mix both this Thursday, Bob, and Saturday after the game. So that'll be exciting. The Blue White Breakdown from Penn Live. You can find daily updates from Dustin Hawkinsmith and also our three extended uh, versions each week, wherever you get your audio Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are housed. Uh, you can also get the video version too, youtube.com slash all Penn State. We'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. Blue-white breakdown, halfway through, maybe more than halfway through, Greg. Um, before we talk about Penn State's defense, and there's a lot to get to, let's talk about Pat Fryermuth. You know, he's probably, uh, in terms of the NFL draft in 2021, he's probably Penn State's most high-profile candidate. I mean, there might be some others. I know Journey Brown's going to get a lot of love. Hopefully, we'll see Journey back at some point. And if we don't see him back in the fall, well, I'm sure we'll see him I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll maybe he'll need to come back, or maybe he'll just say, 
I think I'm ready. But Pat Frymuth was asked about, you know, the team 0-3. Things not looking great. It's a small season. We're in November. Any thoughts about him opting out? It sounds like Pat's made up his mind. Yeah. So Pat Fryermuth was very direct Tuesday morning in saying that he has no intentions of opting out of the season, that once he came back, he was in, he's committed to Penn State. And I believe him. I don't think this is a guy who's going to walk back his word, which was that he was going to play this season and not decide to opt out before it even started. As for some other guys, you know, we'll wait and see, Bob. Uh, Obviously, if they go to 0-4 this week, the questions on this front are only going to intensify. Uh, We've seen players at other colleges who are potential high NFL draft picks decide to say, look, this just isn't worth the injury risk at this point in time because we have no you know, major postseason goals to play for. So uh, if they get back on the winning column, I think that would help. You know, The other thing, too, is any of the guys you might have in this conversation, they put some things on film, but maybe not enough through four games to get to that point. And as it relates to Journey Brown, I do think he will hold out as long as possible to try and get whatever medical clearance is needed to get back to the field. Uh, James Franklin said again today that, They lost Journey Brown before the season started, but the long-term outlook for him has not been decided. So if he's willing to say that, I think they're still holding out hope that he could come back this year. I mean, at some point, obviously, I'm not sure how much it will be worth it. So we'll see. I mean, if I had to put odds on it, I would say it's probably pretty unlikely we see him this fall, but they are still going to hold out hope for now. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, everyone's got their decisions to make. And Greg, not not a great look, I think, if you're going to opt out and you haven't won a game. I just ha- I just want to say that. I, I understand there's an injury risk, but I think if you're an NFL club, you know, maybe maybe opt out after you win a game. Just, you know, maybe put some good stuff on tape and then opt out. Because I don't know. I don't know what the tape's looking like for some of these guys. I know Pat Fryermuth is, 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 you know, done some nice things this year. But if any of the other guys are thinking about opting out, I don't know what is out there on tape that the NFL is going to look at and say, man, these guys certainly improved their draft stock. Yes, I'm 100% with you, Bob. I just think that, you know, again, one of the big selling points for playing this season, besides the obvious chance to go win the Big Ten title or a college football playoff, was so that these guys could get that extra tape, get the reps that they needed, so on and so forth. So I just have a hard time envisioning any of them saying, yep, you know what, I've done enough through three weeks or four weeks to – change where I was before the season started. So, you know, again, I I just have a tough time envisioning that you're going to see guys start opting out or transferring or whatever. Some of the doomsday scenarios we've seen on social media. Now, you know, when you get to that ninth game, okay, maybe at that point we'll have a different conversation. But I think at least for now, Bob, Penn State fans should feel pretty good that they're not going to be losing any more firepower from opt-outs anytime soon. Yeah, okay, so the plan for the blue-white breakdown the rest of the week is, in theory, it's going to be Davey and I, Dave Jones and I, on Thursday. We'll have probably a, lot, a little bit more of an extended look at what we think about this Penn State-Nebraska game. This is Penn State's first trip to Lincoln since uh, 2012. That was the, quote-unquote, the Matt Lehman fumble game that they could have easily won, didn't go their way. They're going to go out there. It's going to be an 11 a.m. kick. Nebraska time. I know you and Joe Hermit are going to go, but let's you and I just kick some stuff around. What we kind of just analyze this game real quick, you know, Greg. So Penn State opened as a four-point favorite. They're at three as we talk about this. Nebraska uh, opened the season against Ohio State. Uh, it did not go great for them. Uh, I think they lost either fifty-two seventeen or something like that. The game was in the horseshoe. 
Their next game was canceled because I believe they were supposed to play Wisconsin and they're having some, they were having some COVID issues. They've actually only played two games. The game that they played last week was in Evanston, Illinois. They lost a pretty competitive game to Northwestern 21-13. Game was a little bit closer than the final score. They turned the ball over uh, or else maybe they could have actually given Northwestern a bit of a scare. But Greg, when you look at the Nebraska team, what I see is, when you have two quarterbacks, Greg, it means you really don't have a starting quarterback. Scott Frost is using two guys, Adrian Martinez, Luke McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey's younger brother. They actually are very good running quarterbacks. What they aren't yet are very good throwing quarterbacks. Nebraska doesn't have a touchdown reception, touchdown pass through two games. Greg, my question to you is, as bad as the Penn State defense has looked since the late fourth quarter of the Indiana game, and it's looked pretty bad, I would have to think the whole game plan is going to have to, it's got to revolve around just limiting what the Nebraska running back uh, quarterbacks can do in the run game. You have to make them beat, beat you through the air. Do you not? And I just wonder if maybe if you're not seeing a very balanced offense, whereas Indiana was balanced, Ohio state was balanced, Maryland was balanced. Nebraska does not look like they have balance yet on offense. Does this game, maybe even though it's on the road, there's no crowd, does it set up a little bit better for Penn State's defense? Well, you would sure think so, Bob. And I think we might see Brent and Pry go back to basics here a little bit. And, you know, they did some exotic stuff in a couple of games this season. Against Maryland, certainly, they were dropping linemen in coverage and things like that. And, that was awful. You know, I think that it's a good opportunity for them to go back to the basics of what a Brent Pry defense is supposed to look like. And that starts with, better coverage, whether you're in man or zone, and it's it's containing the quarterbacks. Don't let them beat you. Because here's the thing. We can say all we want. The the stats indicate this, that, or the other thing. We said the same thing about Maryland's rush defense last week and how did that work out. (laughs) You know, I I think you have to keep that in mind. But even though these two quarterbacks don't appear to be – well, they're certainly not golden arm quarterbacks. They might not even be bronze. But if they have receivers running wide open, which is what some of Penn State's opponents have had the luxury of finding so far – they might not make every throw, uh, but if they hit on enough of them, that'll be enough to get the job done against a Penn State offense that has struggled to consistently move the ball for four quarters. So I think that's going to be Penn State's biggest challenge, not only containing the running threat, but ensuring that they don't turn a Nebraska offense that has struggled to move the ball and even score points through the air into at least a semi-competent passing attack. So that, that's Penn State's biggest challenge to me. You know, I don't, again, I don't know if we'll ever see Keaton Ellison. We'll never know why, apparently, but I can't help but to think he would help this secondary some. But they're having communication issues. They're having breakdowns between corners and safeties, it would appear. The defensive line, teams have figured it out that if you get the ball out really quickly, you're probably, A, going to have somebody open, and B, you're going to neutralize the speed and quickness of Penn State's defensive line. So, yeah, it's a challenge for them this week. They need to be better up front on both sides of the ball. Nebraska is a beatable football team. The problem is so was Maryland and Indiana, I guess, to a degree was too, even though they've obviously proven to be pretty darn good uh, since they played Penn State. So, you know, for Nebraska, both of these teams, it's about buy-in to me. Does Nebraska, you know, batten down the hatches and buy into what Scott Frost and that staff is preaching to them this week? And does Penn State's players do the same with James Franklin. And if that happens, we could have a good game. If one team doesn't do it, it could be ugly one way or the other. So, you know, I think you and I both predicted this to be a win for Penn State before the season started. And it's not out of the question for it to be. But 
you're going to have to see them do some of the basic things they've been doing wrong right to not find themselves in a hole early because that's the other problem. They've started slow and they've allowed teams to get an advantage on them where they have to, you know, they can't run the ball anyway, but then they have to start just endlessly throwing and that hasn't worked out so well. All right, let's get to two things real quick before we we wrap up this edition of the Blu-ray Breakdown. Maybe they're related, maybe they're not. They both involve the defense. Greg, how much, we talked a little bit about it in our in our Heart of Darkness post-game podcast after the Maryland game in pitch black because we couldn't record in the stadium. Uh, but maybe, maybe some people didn't hear that. Okay, Greg, how much does Penn State miss Sean Spencer, number one? And maybe this is related, but, you know, 0-3, possibly be 0-4. Hot seat, hot seat. That's always what what comes up with maybe re- regard to James Franklin. Even though he's won, what he went forty two games, forty two games in like four years before this. Instead of the hot seat with James Franklin, how about the hot seat with Brent Pry? I mean, how much how much is the seat warm for him? Considering how badly this he talked the offseason about, they think they had the problems fixed uh, with pass defense, and it's been like a seven on seven drill for Ohio State and Maryland. Those, I mean, those quarterbacks are completing like 77% of their passes, no interceptions, lots of big, lots of big plays. How much do they miss Sean Spencer, uh, the defensive line coach, and how much should maybe Brent Pry be worried? Yeah, I, I think that with Sean Spencer, we all knew that he was a culture driver and he was a highly energetic, strong, motivational guy. And I think that maybe it was overlooked just how much he meant to this team, that defense, this program. He's a guy who I think a lot of players confided in. I think a lot of players connected with. And Deion Barnes and John Scott Jr. are trying their best to bridge that gap. And I think we've heard some encouraging things. But yeah, when you lose a guy like that, who's not only extremely experienced and a veteran coach and has a track record of producing, but is also a culture driver, that hurts to lose a guy like that. There's no question. So I don't think that should be overstated. And then with Brent Pry. You know, I'm just going to say in a general sense, whether you're talking hot seat or coordinators, coaches at Penn State or anywhere else, I don't think you can go any further without noting that around college football this year, the carousel is going to be fascinating because schools are hemorrhaging money because of the coronavirus pandemic. And how many places are going to be able to afford these gigantic buyouts that some of these coaches have? uh, And some coordinators have smaller ones than others. Some head coaches have smaller ones than others. but how many places are really going to be able to take on the money it costs to fire a coach in 2020? So I think that's one thing you have to consider, regardless of school that you're talking about in the hot seat conversation. But yeah, for Brent Pry, I think at times fans have really been frustrated with us thinking that we don't put enough blame or criticism on his and his staff's plate. And I think some of it's fair, some of it's not. Ultimately, though, when you talk about coaches and and their progression as as coordinators or as head coaches, what do you start with? You start with, are there things that have consistently been a problem that continue to be one, despite a, you know, supposed strong focus on fixing it? And that's this past defense, no question. Um, They said multiple times that they spent the offseason sort of charting and studying and investigating what went wrong. And they sounded pretty confident to me, Bob, that they were going to have a handle on this thing. And they just don't. And Sometimes it looks like coverage is a problem. Sometimes it looks like execution is a problem. And sometimes they just don't look like they have the right either players or formation called to match up with what an opposing offense is doing. So, again, this week is a chance for that side of the ball to right the ship, too, and say, okay, we know what we can do well. 
We know what they can only really do well. Let's take that away from them and force them to beat us otherwise. So it's a big week for that group, no doubt. I think a lot of fans are frustrated with Brent. I think they can appreciate what he's done for this team and program since he's been here. But yeah, I mean, it is a simple truth that a lot of the stuff we thought would be fixed with this group isn't and hasn't been for a couple of years. Greg, I think this is our cue. I think I hear some chewing and gnawing and slurping in the background where you're recording. I'm going to guess that Lola is a little rambunctious. She probably needs a walk. She probably needs some more peanut butter. I think that's our cue to wrap up this edition of the Blue-White Breakdown, Penn Lines, Penn State Podcast. I'm Bob Flounders. He's Greg Pickle. You're also, if you're listening very carefully, you're also picking up on Lola the Golden Retriever. Greg, the plan is Dave and I will be talking about Penn State on Thursday. If I don't get a chance to talk to you between now and game day, have a safe and interesting trip to Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I think Joe Hermit's going with you. And, you know, we will talk soon. And we hopefully we're talking about 1-3 and three Penn State and not 0-4 Penn State. Because, Greg, I think some people's heads are going to explode if they start 0-4. I'm just going to be really, really honest. It's not going to go well. 